0: Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Change Makers. In 1947, as the then Princess Elizabeth celebrated her 21st birthday, she said, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. 75 years later, an unprecedented 70 of which have been spent on the throne, her Majesty has left an indelible mark as the defining figure of the United Kingdom's modern history. In June, we'll be celebrating that legacy and a lifetime of service with the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. And the centrepiece of what will be a landmark moment is the People's Pageant, described as a once in a lifetime, awe-inspiring spectacle filled with wonder, warmth, wit and wow factor. The pageant will bring to life iconic moment from the Queen's reign as well as showcasing our changing society over the past 70 years. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Rosanna Machado, a specialist in the coordination of large-scale events, and the CEO of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee Pageant. To tell us more about it, Rosanna, welcome to Changemakers.
1: Thank you. Great to be here. Well, listen, after an introduction like that, you're going to have to tell us all about it, aren't you? What can we expect? Oh, we're very excited. It's going to be an amazing spectacle on the streets of London. We've got four acts going on. So Act One is for Queen and Country, and this is a ceremonial piece with the Gold State coach, marching troops, mounted troops, and troops of the Commonwealth. Act Two is the time of our lives, where we recreate the kind of seven decades through music, dance, world events. Act Three is Let's Celebrate, where we've got elements of the Queen's life brought to life through carnival through dance and music and Act 4 is like a tribute to the Queen outside Buckingham Palace.
0: It just sounds absolutely fantastic. Now you must be quite a, an expert in logistics it strikes me. 10,000 people including the military, 6,000 volunteers, performers key workers, two and a half thousand members of the general public. I mean, that's a fair, that's a fair old force you've mustered.
1: It is. I mean, I've got a great team surrounding me to make that happen. And for me, it's all about empowering all those people to really kind of take control of their elements.
0: I mean, when, when you look at this... 70 incredible years. I mean, how do you, how do you curate something? I mean, the four acts sound, sound brilliant. I mean, but, but in terms of the process of actually putting something like this together, I mean, give, give us an insight into sort of how you got to where you got to and actually how you make sure that it represents, you know, one of the great and extraordinary lives of our time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's no mean feat. I think for us, the really important thing was to see how we could draw on the diversity of the UK. So looking at the different communities out there, the different art forms and how we could curate that so that it really was kind of by the people for the people. And so we've worked really hard with going around the country, finding out what's out there, finding out things that are innovative, things that are fun, things that really engage with local communities. And then setting them the task of okay how can you pick on an element of the queen's life so her loves or her values and how can you bring that to, to life creatively so we set our groups the challenge in the let's celebrate section to go okay here you go let's think about you know her love of the natural world how are we going to bring that to life mm. and really working with them to, to bring something that's really joyful you know if there's there's one word that I think sums it up. It's joyful. And I really hope that people, you know, come away with that warm, fuzzy feeling that you get from seeing something that really kind of ignites your fire.
0: I mean, obviously, the, the phrase, the people's pageant for a royal pageant, tell us a little bit about the role of society. And the Queen has always made a, you know, has made no sort of mystery in terms of her comments on, on service and indeed that service ethic for, for, for us, for society. Tell us a little bit about the role of people, the role of actually the society of the last 70 years and how that's reflected as, as part of this.
1: Yeah, well, I think the pageant is really, it's not only a celebration of her reign, but it's also about those values that she holds and those values that we have all kind of are true to ourselves as well. So you think about service, you think about kindness and compassion. These are values that a lot of us hold true to ourselves, true. And I think the way that we wanted to think about the pageant was thinking about, how our society has developed over those 70 years. Not only have we had huge amounts of kind of technological change and and huge amounts of change throughout the world we live in, but actually through all that time, she's been our constancy with her values. And I think everyone feels quite a connection to that. And, And you think about those values and you think about how we connect to our own people in the community, I think that that comes from her.
0: Mm. But of course, it, it, it's a massively different country now than, it, than than it was then in in terms of the Jubilee and 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 in terms of her coronation. When when you try and define, I guess, Britishness today, when you try and try and de- define the UK today, and you celebrate the things that I guess make us a contemporary country, what what are the sort of things that you you've drawn out as as themes?
1: That's that's a really interesting question about defining Britishness, because I always find that question impossible to answer, <laughs> you know, because I, I think that, you know, even in the last 10, 15 years, the way we connect with people has changed massively in terms of technology and social media and, and digital comms. But then I also think about how, you know, when we went through the pandemic as a community, we actually communities, we went back to basics and we mm. rediscovered that human connection. And I think actually that still is what binds us all together is how we connect with each other. And I think, you know, jubilees throughout time and, and even today are all about how we connect uh, with each other, how we connect with our communities. And I don't think that's changed over the time. How we connect might have changed, but actually mm. that connection is still key to it.
0: Let's go back with that struggle to define Britishness. I mean, do you think that's unique to hear or or would it actually now be the same as wherever in the world you were, I'm just thinking, I don't know, the States is coming to mind. I mean, would would you, I mean, in terms of the compare and contrast around the world, do you think we've just gone through so much change that that now becomes a very hard thing to do? Or do you think actually it's just the relationships that people have with countries in a globally digitally collect- connected world?
1: Well, I think, you know, I struggle with labels anyway, personally, because I think, you know, we shouldn't be defined by, you know, I'm sporty or I'm creative or I'm this. And I actually think, you know, allowing people to shape themselves and grow and become what they want to become is, you know, where the beauty comes and how people grow. And so when people say, oh, define this thing, I find it quite limiting. And and I think we are very diverse culture and I think you know that's what we should celebrate but I don't like to try and pigeonhole it.
0: I suppose what I'm thinking about it is that I sort of think it's a really interesting juxtaposition isn't it because as an institution the monarchy stands for continuity and yet it's also at the heart of change and change is a very important part of of the story of you know the last sort of 70 years or so in a period where we've seen a lot of those institutions evolve or or not but the monarchy of course has been at the heart of that evolution and change to reflect some of those sort of themes and and modernity I mean one of the things you've said about this pageant is the importance of legacy to provide opportunities for things that will go on and to bring benefit to communities long after long after the um, the celebrations are over tell us a little bit about what that might actually mean and and what the legacy uh,
1: is and how it might last. Yeah, well, you know, it was really important when I took on the project that it wasn't just a one day event. And I've worked in live events for over 20 years and I love the magic and the sparkle that you get from bringing people together for that event. And what I wanted to do was kind of bottle that and go, okay, how can we sprinkle that? continue after the event happened and we've looked to do it in a number of ways So, so you know my aim was okay how can people benefit from this afterwards so one thing we're looking at is some of the creative projects that we are creating for the pageant they'll live on in homecoming processions in local communities so more people get to see it and experience it. We've also been working with how we can develop young people. So we've got interns in our team, we're working with some volunteers on the day. And then in terms of sustainability, we're looking at how we can become more sustainable as a live event, accepting that, you know, there are limitations, but actually what we want to do is to gift our findings to the events industry Mm. so that future events can continue to improve. And I'm also looking at how We might engage with communities that might not traditionally engage with Jubilees. So, we're doing a project with the Ideas Foundations in schools where they're doing a photography project around the Commonwealth of Kindness. So, thinking about the Queen's value of kindness and how you could depict. That in photography. We're also working with the industrial cadets on how they could produce their own kind of carbon reducing jubilee party. So, again, just looking at how we can also build capacity in local communities so that after the event, people have got more skills or more access to some of the things that we've been creating.
0: I'm just thinking about what you're talking about cuz because it, because it's marvelous that it's it's more than just a party but of course I I'm old enough to remember the silver jubilee I can remember 1977 and I can remember you know street parties buntings I mean the it was it was all a bit more straightforward in those days but in terms of what it's become I mean this is a this this is I suppose as much of a statement as much of a legacy as it is a party
1: yeah, and I think that's that's brilliant. I mean, if, if you've got the opportunity to get people together for this amazing moment in time, then why not look at how that can live on and touch more people's lives? And mm. I think that, for me, that's the really exciting bit.
0: Well, I'm, I'm going to continue on my time machine because I want to take you to 2012. Because, of course, back then you were fresh out of the um, effort to bring um, the Olympics to London. Of course, you were working as project director for the Thames Jubilee Foundation. If you were to compare and contrast, I suppose, first of all, the event in terms of the logistics the planning the complexity of it how how would you compare and contrast 10 years ago to today
1: they were both fairly complex Organise. I guess, you know, we had the river last time, which had its own complexities. So, you know, that's been removed. But equally, this time, people have seen processions on the street before. So I think, you know, for me, we had to work really hard to make sure it's something new and exciting and, and special. And we're one of kind of four days of celebration. So we're tying in with the rest of the, the weekend. I think in terms of there are two or three big changes that I've noticed. One is around social media. So I mean, it was around in 2012 and, and we, were, we used Twitter and Facebook, but it wasn't really such a big thing. Mm. So this time, you know, we're looking, working harder on how we engage with people in a digital way, how we can offer a kind of backstage experience on the day, how we offer digital program, audio description. So, so working harder at all the different ways that people can connect to the project. And I think that goes further in terms of what I was saying about how we engage with people in the community, because not everyone wants to come and experience a live event. They they want to see it on their phone, or they want mm. to just see a snippet. Or they may want to just celebrate locally in their local community, so we're also doing a local pageant pack. So I think we've worked harder in the whole experiences and how people can experience it. I think it's also a good
0: point that you raise about the kind of you know almost digital naivety that we had in, in 2012. I mean, compared to today. I mean, all of the major platforms were 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 in their infancy and, and others like TikTok and others hadn't even that hadn't even sort of hit 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 the sort of shelves so i, I guess that adds that adds something but what about the social dimension because it strikes me that you know when i think about a phrase like the feel good factor i think about 2012 and i glow i fe- I, I think that mm-hmm. so many things came together and what i can't remember is did we start the year like this or was it because of things like the jubilee then what the pageant which again was a wonderful moment and of course the olympics which i feel was the you know a defining moment not just only for our country but for the world as a very happy moment it feels like quite sharp contrast to to where we find ourselves today in terms of a cost of living crisis many things i mean do you think an event like this can help with issues like social harmony issues like Returning self-belief. I mean, what what role does it play in that side of things, in the broader social tapestry?
1: Yeah, it's interesting you talk about 2012 because there were a lot of sceptical people about the Olympics, certainly up until the last minute. And when it finally came together and everyone saw how amazing it was, suddenly I always loved the idea. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) I do think live events play a huge role in connecting people in kind. of galvanizing people together and that spirit of 2012 was incredible I agree and I think that was you know people saw the creativity that we had they saw the expertise in large-scale events if you look at any Olympics it is a number of UK people that go and work on all these events we have a phenomenal expertise and to see it all come together to see how that could impact on people how we could connect with people. I mean, people were talking on the tube during. Mm. I mean, I talk on the tube anyway. But people were talking on the tube during <laughs> the Olympics. About bit. why in a minute. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it it felt a real sense of unity and it was to, an I, unity. I think yeah, that's right. and I certainly believe that you know we are the start of a number of events in in this year so you know we've got the commonwealth games we've got the unboxed festival as well so i do think it's a real opportunity to foster that sense of unity and celebration of, of those well, different and,
0: and i think there were the kind of as you say there were plenty of people in the run-up that were were very skeptical and of course one of the turning points one of the unexpected moments was when the forces were called in to help with the ticketing and the volunteering and making it happen and it just it just felt that so many of the kind of I suppose British institutions were were a part of this. And of course the Olympics itself, you know, that that opening ceremony was its own celebration of our story. And it's lived long in in the memory. I mean, did you take any any inspirations from that in terms of putting on the People's Pageant, which which I suppose picks up the baton of the biggest major moment in 10 years to celebrate that, that, that story?
1: Yeah, I mean certainly, you know, I mean we always talk about the spirit of 2012 because it was that incredibly emotional and it was a moment we all remember and certainly when we thought about okay what what are we trying to create it it was oh how can we recreate that that feeling that we all had in 2012 mm. when we experienced the diamond jubilee when we experienced the olympics and how we all felt kind of connected how we all felt a sense of huge amounts of creativity that were coming out of the industry and that it might lead to kind of that whole economic recovery as well
0: Mm. i mean i suppose we've talked about you know the sort of digital changes but of course you know this is a been a very challenging and and you know many will say divisive few years with brexit covid now cost of living crisis in terms of how an event like this feels tonally appropriate for the moment in time in which we live. How do, how do you get how do you get a potentially sensitive issue like that right?
1: Well, I think I see it as an opportunity to, you know, give people a moment to reflect, but also, you know, a moment of renewal as well, and to think about the future and, and what it can provide. And I think, you know, probably particularly with the pandemic, we haven't experienced those large scale events. Like we had back in in 2012, we haven't experienced them for a few years, and we've we've probably missed that moment of of that magic when you get thousands mm. of people together for a common goal, and I think.
0: Do you think we need it? I mean, I, I yeah. wonder whether actually, we, you know, because I feel like, you know, it almost feels like we've been apart, but we need to be together. And yeah, this might and, be the moment.
1: And, you know, I, I went to a, a live music gig the other day and you haven't been for ages. And it, it was incredible, you know, mm. just that kind of spine tingly feeling that you get e- even before it starts. And I think we do need it because that moment we feel that connection with other people, there's kind of that, that sense of hope, that sense of joy, and it it kind of lifts everyone.
0: I mean, I can remember the first event I went to um, straight after COVID was. I mean, I, I actually wept. I felt very emotional about it because you know it felt like two years. It felt like my goodness, my goodness. I mean, something that we never would have thought. I mean, obviously. I suppose that, that that's the backdrop. But let's talk about your backdrop because I mean, what gets you into running major events? how 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 did that happen in terms of the life of Rosanna in in this in this
1: particular story? Well, it wasn't an intentional move. I, I studied economics and didn't want to do accountancy or management consultancy. So we missed the great economist. <laughs> yeah, you, no, I, I don't think you would have been a great economist. but interestingly, there wasn't really career advice about anything else. You could do back then, which I found quite frustrating. So I had to kind of forge my own path. And the only thing I knew was that I wanted to find something that I completely loved. And I, I need to follow my heart. So after a stint of voluntary work and an administrative job, I, I ended up in events and corporate events and uh, completely fell in love with it. Mm. You know, for me, it's always been about the relationships that you build. That's more than any technical skills, is about kind of empathy and how you can take people on the journey with you and how you can just bring a team and all your stakeholders together because it's quite often quite highly pressurized environment. But, it, you know, you've got a common goal and it's how you can understand the different complexities that are going on in that situation.
0: Mm. I mean, you, you, you also have a, a side hustle, Rosanna, which is which is an, as an executive coach. And we were talking about the sort of the business leaders and charity leaders that you're you're working with and, and you'll focus on emotional intelligence. And I'm wondering there is also an emotional sort of aspect to great events, isn't there, in terms of the, you know, how we feel and how we connect and how we gain meaning. And I wonder—is that a bridge into another side of your life?
1: Well, yeah, it, it's interesting because when I t- when I started the coaching, I was I was thinking, oh, how does this link to my event work? And it was empathy. It was all about how you step into other people's shoes, and it, it's what I say if I'm running an event is like, how are the audience going to feel on this? How am I going to create the experience that I, I need to create? And it's often what I talk about in coaching about you know people in situations what's going on for the other person do you understand what's happening and and how do you feel about it and all about your self-awareness and your understanding of others
0: and it sort of feels though that I mean sort of thinking about the event that you're running and how the pageant is going to sort of The job that it has to to do, I guess, is that if it can establish that empathy, that common understanding, if you were to think about your role in coaching in terms of people that are saying, well, I want to be more empathetic. I want to sort of, you know, I want to build those bridges. What's the advice you'd give people that actually think about that in terms of actually in a divided world, we've got to connect. What are the steps we can take?
1: Well, I always think it, it starts with your own self-awareness, which is the bit that people often skip, so they start to understand well, it's others. not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> the more you understand yourself, the more you understand why you might be reacting to someone in, in a certain way, so quite often we might project our own values onto other people. You know, when I start emails, I generally ask people how they are and nice and some niceties and someone sends me one line back and I think, Oh, that's rude. And I think, Oh no, they're just, they're different to me. Right. When I reread it, it's not actually rude. It's just to the point. And I think understanding yourself and understanding, you know, your own values and what triggers you is the start of it all. Mm. And then to understand other people and actually you know, the biggest thing I say to people is just to listen and to ask questions, you know, I said, you know, I, I sent something's upsetting you, what's going on for you, rather than getting into quite a kind of argumentative. So I'm setting another,
0: another point of view. I mean, it sounds easy when you say it like that. I mean, <laughs> let's move on to this, another area for you, which, which is important, which is the next generation. And you've said, that, you know, you are passionate about people development and training the next generation. When you look at, that goal and that role, how do you see it?
1: Well, it, it's something I've always benefited from personally is when someone believes in you, someone gives you that opportunity and gives you that that chance to learn from them and gives you that chance, you know, takes a chance on you and says, go on, you can do this, even though you might not have the skills to do it. And I just always think that when there are people coming into an industry, it, it's our job to kind of support them, to to provide safety to provide an environment where they can thrive where they can grow and interestingly I think kind of if you can provide that safe environment the less they actually need you so it's not about kind of smothering people it's about saying do you know what you step up and you do this but I'm here if if you need me but you know I know you don't but it, it, it's this fine line of how you can allow people to flourish and and grow without them feeling reliant on you, yet they know that if something goes wrong or they need the help, that you are there. And it just, it brings me the greatest joy when I see
0: I people I've yeah. worked
1: with just thriving. Now I'm thinking, I, I was
0: seven when the Silver Jubilee happened and I, I, have, I have girls, I have two daughters that are 11 and nine. What what are they going to remember about about the people's pageant when they get to my, my old age?
1: <laughs> well, I hope they'll remember some of the you know the spectacular puppets the 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 vintage cars you know the spectacle that they'll see um and I also hope they'll remember the kind of lasting legacy of how those projects lived on afterwards how people felt and you know the most of all I hope they just feel excited and energized Mm. by what what the event brings
0: now, I've got a chance for a couple of quick questions. Um, I suppose quite, quite connected to what you said about empathy is that your, your tip for life is to treat everyone you meet with respect. Now, I, I recently interviewed, interviewed the social entrepreneur, Kim Pullman who, who said that she said that to treat others in the planet as you'd wish to be treated. I mean, it feels that that is, you know, there's, there's a nugget in that in terms of not only how to do it, but why it's important to you. So tell us why, why your advice piece is important to you.
1: For me, respect is everything. So, you know, it doesn't matter what situation you're in and how much you're, you might be disagreeing with someone on a point. The way that you treat people should be respectful. And and it goes such a long way. And actually, you can have quite difficult conversations when it's done in the right way. And I just think it, it, it goes across the board, you know, just be polite, say hello to people. I mean, I talk to everyone, as I've said, but, you know, just showing respect to everyone you meet, whoever they are, is it, its just something I've, I've always thought was really important. And, mm. yeah.
0: Now, on the lockdown list, we asked guests to give us their top five tunes. And, and I know that guests put a lot of effort into this, but you are the first um, person I've interviewed that does a lockdown list every single day for, for your friends. What's on the lockdown list today, we've got to know, Rosanna?
1: Oh, it was the, the Veronica's. Can't remember what the song was. So it came from my friend in Australia, the six of us. So we go on rotation and we started the list to bring us joy at quite a difficult time in March 2020. Ooh, and well, it turned into quite a, um, it's kind of a routine and it's it's a connection with friends because you're always on WhatsApp in the morning to, to release the song and you get the joy of music. So it's brought us a lot of uh, happiness.
0: It's great. I mean, I have to say we, we've, we've done so many lockdown lists and I still feel like we need to have the... The big compilation and the, and the big party with it. Maybe, maybe that's an idea for the future. Right. Last, last thought before we close. I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, obviously we, we've spoken about Majesty the Queen, a central figure in the nation's story over the, over the last 70 years. But personally, what, what has she meant to you, Rosanna, in terms of your your take on her life and, and perhaps, you know, one of the reasons, I guess, why you're doing this job of the People's Pageant?
1: I love the fact that she's always understated about what she does. And, and that really resonates with me. Me. She was way ahead of the time in terms of female leadership. We still talk about that now. And you think, wow, she's been doing it 70 years. And I love some of the values of kindness and compassion. Uh, they and really, they're really, they really close to my heart as well.
0: Oh, I tell you, I'm, I've left this interview glowing. If That's uh, that, that's always the sign of a good conversation, I think. If I'm, I'm the first recipient of the message. Rosanna Machado, The People's Pageant, what a story. Thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. Thanks very much. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?